Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. Thinking about content and monetizing content, but doing it in a way where we're not just trying to sort of drive traffic to your site, but actually try to engage and educate and inspire and get that. You're sort of like warming up a subset of traffic that may not be ready to buy today, but because of the investment you're making in editorial and content, you're building thought leadership, you're building trust, you're building a relationship with these folks. Does your website stand out in a crowded marketplace? Turn the online spotlight back to your site and grab your customer's attention with SEMrush. For next level online marketing, visit semrush.com backslash free and try it free for seven days. What's up, AK? Welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to chat, but I want to dive in quickly and give a little background of how did you get into marketing? Yeah, thanks. I mean, I, I, I didn't grow up dreaming of being a SaaS marketer. I don't know if, if, if many folks have, but, you know, I found just kind of a series of happy accidents, kind of pulling a thread out of college kind of led me to technology companies. And I started my career as an SDR, so kind of entry-level sales role, which I you know appreciate for many folks. That's kind of the how you sort of start in, in technology companies overall. And so I was working as a SDR. I, I eventually went to a BD role um, at a company called Live Office, where we were selling like cloud-based email archiving tools. It was not the sexiest industry in the world, but I met along the way there our CEO Nick Meta and built a, a pretty good relationship with him there. And years later, he was starting uh, or joining the company that would become Gainsight. And he remembered this like PowerPoint I gave or something back at live office. And I think he saw something in me that I didn't, I didn't see in myself. And he asked me to come on board and lead marketing for, you know, the company called Jbera Software at the time. So I was the first marketing hire at Gainsight. I didn't have any like you know, decades of experience, like running AdWords campaigns or some of the more traditional kind of marketing things. I relied on first principles. I kind of thought about, you know, what am I learning from consumer media and consumer marketing? You know, what is like Nike and Disney and all these like companies that inspire us, Airbnb do, and sort of started architect building that into the architecture of our um, marketing strategy at Gainsight from pretty early days. So I've loved it ever since. It's definitely, I think, where I'm most passionate and uh, very happy to be a part of the community now. Yeah, I mean, you now you're at a, you've founded a company, Audience Plus, and it's surrounded around this topic of media companies that have been going around for a couple of years. But I want to dive into what makes a media company, what is actually a media company inside of a, a company? Like, what does that actually mean? Where we're headed is a world where it's not an embedded group within a larger organization. I literally think it's the way we're going to go to market in the future and hopefully in the, in the very short term. And here's why. Uh, and you're right. In the past, actually, this was something that people said. We talked about content marketers for years. They talked about becoming a media company. It's almost become a joke like within a lot of insider folks of like, okay, we get it. Like, You mean produce videos or podcasts? Like, What, what, what do you mean? 
But there's been some some major changes that have happened in our industry. The first is, and you got you see this with your audience, folks are listening to podcasts, they're watching videos, they're not just reading blog posts anymore. And in our world, in B2B, when we said content, what we've meant traditionally is the written blog post that is really meant to drive organic leads and organic traffic back to the website. It doesn't have this sort of editorial, educational, inspirational approach that our audiences or the, just us as human beings want when we're looking to engage with information. The second thing is data privacy laws have changed. And so third-party cookies are effectively blocked. They're going to be completely gone next year. So how we actually get distribution of our content is getting much, much harder right now. And thinking about how we win back traffic and ultimately how we drive leads is, is completely evolving. And then third is like, we, we have this sort of like love-hate relationship with social media. I think that there's growing dissatisfaction that our organic reach is limited by an algorithm that we don't control and that we can't actually own our audience data or be able to migrate to them, let's say, when another platform comes around or just rebuild our audience there. For folks in the creator world, you know, you're, you're kind of sharing your revenue uh, with YouTube, like giving 50% of your revenue to YouTube when you could own that relationship directly and literally double your business overnight. So there's a lot of just kind of changes that have started to happen. And the good news for us is there's actually a cognitive kind of reference, a model of companies that have figured this out before. And it happens to be these consumer media companies because they've had to figure out how to use emerging formats to captivate and inspire their audience to break through the attention kind of challenges that exist uh, in the market. You know, they've long believed in owning your data and owning your audience data through the subscriptions primarily. And then they've monetized their audience. Uh, typically for media companies, it's by like premium content offers like courses or events or, or paid exclusive content, that sort of thing. And for us, I think, you know, it could very well be the same in addition to potentially selling a product. So it requires this like mindset shift, but it's effectively going to change you know, I believe how we position the company, the type of content we produce, the channels that we use to distribute that content, how we use engagement data about our community to actually inform business decisions and business impact. So I think it's a much bigger thing than the sort of 1.0 understanding of it, which was like, hey, I need just an editorial team on staff. I think it's it's going to be the, the future of how we go to market. Yeah, I want to dive into like the future, how we go to market and how you think about that go-to-market play of building a media. Because I talked to Devin Reed the other day and we kind of had the same thoughts of like what a media company is. And essentially what we, our definition in a few words is when your content is a product and it creates and monetized, that product is monetized. And it doesn't mean it's monetized. It could be monetized through your product, your end product, which is like, your software, or it could be monetized through sponsors, whatever you, it is. But you're it, basically your content is driving revenue. That's the end game. But I want to go into the go to market play. Like, how do you think about going to market as in a media company fashion? Well, we think about most of the, the way we deploy content today, most, not all. You know, we'll get a list of keywords that we think will rank against a subset of traffic that we think could maybe buy the product. And we'll write blog posts that are optimized for search, not optimized for value exchange or connection or true education. Again, not, not everything, but a decent amount of our content investment is literally for search. We then take some of our great content and we lock it behind a gate. 
and we try to basically coerce somebody to fill out a form to get the white paper or the ebook or whatever it is that we're doing. And then the second somebody actually takes some of these actions and gives us their information, we throw them into a nurture campaign until they do enough things until the SDR calls them 17 times and leaves three voicemails. That's B2B marketing in a nutshell today. And I think that you and Devin are absolutely right. Thinking about content and monetizing content, but doing it in a way where we're not just trying to sort of drive traffic that may or may not be the right traffic that may or may not be in market today to your site, but actually try to engage and educate and inspire and get that you're sort of like warming up a subset of traffic that may not be ready to buy today, but because of the investment you're making in editorial and content, you're building thought leadership, you're building trust, you're building a relationship with these folks. I found over the years, that's the cohort of lead that ends up converting at the end of the day to revenue. Like the Google PPC leads, they're great. You know, they can fill up kind of your MQLs, but you know, those end up being really tougher deals for the customer success team to manage if they close or they're the deals that, that you're constantly trying to create urgency around and just, they're just really difficult. So if you're able to rethink how we acquire customers through the lens of value exchange and all these other kind of things, it's a much different premise. Just a quick stat. I think I read that like across all industries, the average conversion rate for a website is 2.3, 2.65% or something to that end. So between two and 3%. And it's like 97% plus of traffic on our site bounces because they don't want to buy or they don't want to talk to sales. They don't want to see a demo yet. So what are we doing with that other 97%? It's crazy to think about those numbers. And our content, our community, our thought leadership effort could be a great place to really get those folks um, engaged and start setting the, the foundations of what could become a sale in the future. When I think of like content, if you think content is a product, then you inherently make the product great for your audience. If you think of it as a, a supporting function, then you, you, you're doing bad activities to drive content for other things. That's one thing I always think about is if you think of it as a product, one, you'll create a great product. Two, you'll invest in innovating on that content. Three, you'll, you'll, you'll put budget because you'll think of it as an, I'm doing R&D for this budget. I'm, I mean, for this product I'm doing, I'm investing in resources for this, this product. I'm building it. The amount of, and that's why I think a lot of people think of it as just like, okay, it's a nice to have in a business. It's, it, it's a must have to, but it, Devin had a good quote. He's like, people say content is king, for example, but they treat content like more like a peasant. Because if content was really king, you would make that as is the center of your strategy, not as a support of your strategy. That's a really good point to talk about kind of the difference between content or sort of B2B marketing 101 and or 1.0 and 2.0. I think content really does move into the center of how we do business, how, how we go to market. I think that's just a nice, a nice sort of encapsulation. So you started Audience Plus on this premise. Like what was like your, your heel that you died on or like the, the <laughs> internal like pain point that you saw that, that you wanted to bring to market? I know we've discussed it a little bit, but what was that like burning, burning um, desire that came to you that, 
to make you start the company? Man, a lot. So, you know, I'd say just on the sort of personal career level, I had been a CMO three times at that point. I was on my third kind of run as a CMO. I was at a hop in and kind of gone through the motions, kind of, you know, built the team and was really sort of, I'd say, thinking about, okay, how do you sort of, how do I evolve myself as a marketer? How do I sort of take on new challenges? Because it felt like over time, maybe it was part of the, the ups and downs of the economy we've been riding, but it's gone from like everything from how do we step on the gas and really, you know, make big bets to how do we like cut our spend and make some really tough decisions on the team and all in a very short period of time. So I think in general, my, my thought process was I'd love to take what I've learned in my career and start potentially start a company. And this kind of has been a common thread, maybe not using language like media company, but the idea of like building thought leadership activated and validated by a community of, of prospects and customers around your brand. Um, and then monetizing that thought leadership as a way to do marketing. It's kind of, you know, what we did at Gainsight with the customer success industry and what I was bringing at front and hop in. It's sort of the like it's the hill that I would die on from a philosophical perspective on like this will be the way marketing happens in the future. There's there's no doubt about it. Then all you need is an idea, right? And so it's like, okay, so I'm passionate about this topic. I think, you know, I have strong interest to start a company as sort of a career challenge and wanting to do something. But what's the the sort of gap in the market from a technology perspective? And while we haven't totally announced all that yet, um, you know, we're still incubating the product. We're kind of building in public-ish a little bit. You know, we're executing a media company strategy while also doing like customer design sprints and kind of building our product in the back end. What I will say is there hasn't been a product introduced into the market that helps companies operationalize this process. There's been a lot of amazing tools around content creation. Um, you know, we're on what Riverside today, there's Canva, there's StreamYard, there's Zencaster, some really great technology to help folks produce high quality content for a lot cheaper than we used to have to do it. But no one's really thinking about distribution in a meaningful way, especially through the lens of B2B software companies where to your, I think, first point, we're not a media company, we're a software company. So what is this whole media company thing? And so I got really excited about the idea after having built something a few times internally using like WordPress and cobbling together a bunch of tools to say, I think there's an opportunity for the market to actually build an underlying platform to help folks um, truly build an owned media strategy, build and execute an owned media strategy. Also going back to what you said earlier about like consumer brands, like Red Bull's done this for a while. Oh. And, and you think of something that inherently is a product. So you, if you, let's take, take the, argument that SaaS is a product and you can't be a media company because SaaS is your product. Red Bull technically is a energy drink company. But if you look at all the assets surrounding it, they have events, they have media, they have influencers, they have sports teams. But at the end of the day, they still sell a product. So it's like, um, but they also, the way that they're doing it, and that's why I think like companies like Disney and Red Bull stay alive for a long time is because when you think of media, it's it's longer than a a year or in a year and a half play. It's a, a five to ten year like we're building something for the future. So, how did you take some inspiration from consumer to bring it over to B two B? I'll use both examples. Red Bull 
the first actually piece of content we did was with uh, SVP of Red Bull Media House. Um, it got into his head on how they think about it. And to your point, if you go to redbull.com today, you don't even see like the can. It's all about the, the content and the experiences and the sports teams and the figures. I think they are probably one of the first movers, if not the first mover in product company into media, media first or media sort of, you know, focus. And so a lot of the inspiration there was just validation that, okay, there's, there's signal in the market that companies are doing this and have done it, you know, really successfully. And in talking to that gentleman, so much of it was done in-house from like an actual technology infrastructure perspective since they were one of the first ones out to market with it. So that I think helped us validate, okay, there might, you know, this might be a stretch for a company that's very young, but if we can help, you know, do what Red Bull kind of figured out themselves for the rest of the, of the world, that's a really powerful value proposition in general. But Disney Plus is one that like really inspired me. I have two little kids at home, so we probably watch Disney Plus more than we watch anything these days. And what was inspiring about Disney is like, they're probably the greatest storytellers and content creators of our generation uh, or last century, right? And even they, until the start of the pandemic, were distributing all of their content through Netflix, Sling, and Hulu. Um, I think they're part owners in Hulu, and that, that was part of the reason why. And they had the realization, they're like, why are we doing this? Like, why can't we own our own audience, go direct to consumer understand all of the data and analytics around what are people watching? What are they engaging with? And then in their case, monetize that channel through Disney plus. And now it's, I think climbing the charts as one of the, one of the most adopted streaming services in the world. And so a, a huge success story, but that's sort of the mentality. I think SaaS companies are going to be going through. It's like, there's a role for Twitter. There's a role for YouTube. There's a role for uh, Spotify and Apple, Apple um, pod, podcast through the lens of like, amplification and being where our audience is by no means is that going away. I would never suggest that. But I think there's a growing opportunity to say in addition to that, or as part of a broader strategy, we should go direct to our audience and own that relationship, understand how they're engaging with our, our content, what they're interested in learning about more, creating bespoke opportunities for value exchange, whether it's a event or an exclusive piece of content for a subset of the audience or whatever. And so that's where I think a lot of the inspiration comes from. There's not this like, you know, and you, if you're following along with any of the stuff we're doing, it doesn't feel very B2B, even though we're talking about B2B stuff. I think your, your show does such a good job of this as well, that it creates this like entertainment value and it, it's packaged a little bit differently. But when you look at what Disney did with Disney Plus, I think that's the playbook for, I know it's, it's extreme to say they've got all the budget and resources in the world to, to pull off something like that. That's where we're headed, I think, from a content perspective in B2B land. Everybody's online, but are they finding your website? Grab the online spotlight and your customer's attention with SEMrush. From content and SEO to ads and social media, SEMrush is your one-stop shop for online marketing. Build, manage, and measure campaigns across all channels faster and easier are you ready to take your business to the next level get seen get semrush visit semrush.com backslash free to try it free for seven days 10 years ago SaaS was less of a commodity than it is today 
Um, and that's the biggest change that's happening. Like the, the, the entrance in the market are more than ever. So the only way to, to win as an entrant in the market is to build media or br- media and brand to stand out. Cause I think that, like Red Bull is just an energy drink. Like the only way that like, it's like they're not anything different. They, I mean, they have a, a different taste and stuff like that, but it's, it does the same. The, the, the pain it solves is the same as every other Disney. I mean, it has a lot of stuff, but it does, just does is a place that creates content and great content, but they were looking at it and like, okay, I'm, we're becoming a commodity because Netflix has something, Hulu has something, and now we have to create our own stuff because otherwise we're just going to be like known as a part of Netflix or a part of Hulu, not just Disney. So I'm thinking like in the SaaS world, why it's going to become even a bigger thing is because if you see that MarTech chart or stuff like that, like everything's becoming a commodity in SaaS. So how do you stand out as by doing a media play to go to And a competitor could copy your product pixel for pixel, right? And then to your point, you know, with all the dev tools out there now, and it's not that hard to do that anymore. But what they can't take from you is the thought leadership that you created in the market. It's the, the community that you've gathered around your media, around your content. That's the stuff that is like the moat around the business, uh, not just the product anymore. So I totally buy into that. I want to go into a little bit of like prediction for like 2023. Like how do you, how do you see marketing? I know we've kind of talked about a little bit, but how do you think marketing is changing um, for next year and above? Like what are some predictions you have for that? I think there's a bigger trend on top of all the things that we've been talking about here. And it's this, this kind of movement to, you know, what some have called, I think HubSpot and others, community-led growth, community-led company building or whatever. And I really think that's going to be part of the big transformation that, that's going to be happening next year for sure that, that really helps us add context to why all this media stuff actually matters. And it's to the point we just made, right? It's how can we build a defensible brand and a defensible business effectively going beyond just the products that we, that we create. And I think for, we've come from a world where it used to be in the early 2000s, marketing led growth, right? That's really where you think about like the rise of the CMO and the demand marketer, Marketo and HubSpot inbound marketing, and they kind of pioneered this, this new world for us. And then in most recently, we've talked about product-led growth, right? How do we sort of create that flywheel within your website so you can drive a ton of subscriptions? I think there's some value to product-led for the right customer in the right segments, that sort of thing. But I think what we're learning is that community-led growth as a whole is sort of a better way to sort of like build that relationship that we were mentioning through our content media and everything else with a market of prospects who will then you know, when they are in market and ready to buy, are going to choose to work with a market leader because of the investment we've made on, on value creation. They might have come to our events, listened to our podcasts, you know, subscribe to our thought leadership, all that sort of thing. Customers will feel like they want to renew and they want to, you know, advocate and just feel like they're sort of the CAC TV, you know, look, looks really good for that cohort because they've come through that sort of community led kind of motion. So I think that's the future state. Now, there's a problem I think today that exists is that 
CEOs are talking about this and board members are talking about it. And it turns out communities, it's like super hot topic in Silicon Valley and in, in the investor kind of circles and all that. But when you talk to a CMO and you ask them like, hey, is community-led growth this next thing? I was surprised to actually find a lot of skepticism on it. And I think the pushback was, it's kind of definitional. You have a lot of CMOs that are like, when I think about community, I'm thinking about like that community marketer, community manager I have reporting into like product marketing or maybe corporate marketing. They might be sort of a few years out of school and they're, you know, managing our circle.so forum or our Slack channels or they're doing testimonials for us. That's where our mind goes when we think community. But I think that's not what CEOs mean, what board members mean. They, they're sort of thinking what, you know, I'm sort of calling capital C community, which is sure your customers, but this bigger subset of people who believe and buy into what you're doing, engage with your thought leadership, they come to your events and kind of that sort of value exchange that's happening. And so I think my prediction for next year is folks are going to start getting serious about community building, but then we're going to start realizing that we don't mean just our customers. We mean the sort of like bigger kind of superset that is folks that come through an audience building exercise, folks that engage with your content and engage with each other and ultimately become some of your best customers. One thing I've been toying around a lot, and I don't think anybody's really figured out a model for this, but I, I would love for people to do is like everybody talks about like LTV of like customers and ROI of customers, but not many people talk about like LTV of audience and like mm. what bad behaviors could actually ruin that the LTV of your audience and what good behaviors could increase that long-term value. Cause in 12 or 18 months or two or five years, that, that pod could be this like, huge like value that you, you value creation doesn't mean that they're going to be customers today but they people marketers don't think about it and when they don't think about it they do bad actions like i need to hit this goal today i mean this quarterly goal and i'm going to blast out a thousand emails to my audience because they're and they don't realize like that is affecting like the the potential like value of that those people to convert into eventual customers so i think a lot of people don't think about this like what audience actually the value of audience is and would you going back to what i was going to ask you the question of what you define as community because i think like a lot of people think it is that slack channel of like a thousand people or it's that facebook group or it's that like if you go back into this go consumer for a long, like you look at bands, like they've developed like community for years, but like, it doesn't mean that like it's in a centralized, like place like Slack. It's just these raving fans that are like fans of this. And like, they will be talking to each other in like, like Reddit and stuff being like, Oh, I'm like this raving fan. Like, and they'll have meetups outside, but that because they creating connection between a raving fan and a raving fan, but not necessarily like the band is the one facilitating it. Yep. I want to know your like exact, not exact definition, but what, how do you define it in your head? So for like people who don't believe in community-led growth, like what is it de defined as? Well, I found that sort of the crux of the disconnect is taking sort of the individual like human perspective of the answer and then the corporate 
company perspective of it because I couldn't find a bridge between the two that makes any sense. So from the person side, actually the band example is a great one. Like you have a super set of people that are called country music fans or hip hop or whatever the case may be. And they gather in different places like you as a specific artist or label or whatever, don't have the overall autonomy to, or the ability to really kind of pull them in to a given show. But what we can do overall um, on the B2B side is say, okay, we know that we can't be the like forever home of an entire community of people. But what we can do is, is to sort of start to market to a specific audience of folks and try to play sort of the party host, I guess is lack of a better term, facilitate a place for them to gather within the context of our brand. And it's kind of a different thing. It's not suggesting that we are like, you know, the end-to-end home for this industry. Gainsight, for example, served the customer success community. We tried hard to grow that community and resource them, but we didn't have every single member of the customer success community across the world enrolled into our subscriber database. We had a, a subset of them and a subset of those who were super engaged and they were the ones that ended up being good you know, prospects and ultimately customers for us. We had another folk, subset of folks who came to every event, listened to every webinar, but never bought. But they felt like they were a part of what we were building. But then it would be naive for us to say that like, we've fully like, captured the entirety of that community. So how I define it, to answer your question, is sort of like uh, sort of the notion I gave in earlier. Like The lowercase c community is the historical context for, I think, B2B, which is our customers ultimately, and not even our customers, frankly, but our buyers or our power users and or folks that we deemed, you know, we want to enroll in an advocate community, or maybe they were our customer advisory board members, those types of things. Like that was kind of the, I think the historical definition, I think the capital C community is sort of this bigger kind of, I mentioned superset of folks who are not just subscribers, but they're engaged, uh, they're coming to things, they're you know, showing up at our conference, they're, they're reading our, our blog content, whatever the case may be. And to your point, the more we can get them connecting with each other, it's, it's hard to do that on the brand side, right? But if we can facilitate those moments or those opportunities, I think that's uh, sort of the best we can bring to the table in that regard. But then audience and community are different as well. And that audiences, who are the people that are paying attention to you? Who are the people that are listening? They may not even subscribe yet but they're following you on social, you know, or they're like listening to, they read a blog post and they are within your TAM. And so we know that, you know, there's someone who could potentially be a community member, but there's this like notion of like engagement, I think that separates someone in your audience from someone that's in your community. And again, all of this is on what we can control as marketers on the brand side, but there's a much more philosophical definition of what community actually is that is so much more than a place or a brand, frankly, in the market. Adam, the CEO of um, Workweek, puts it pretty simply to me when I when I talk to him and I kind of fall in the same bucket as it. There's a difference between attention and intention. And attention mm. oh, is the, your audience on social, the ones that are following you, the ones that that's attention, you're gaining attention and an intention are the ones that will actually watch your content, come to your events, 
buy your product and you have to separate those into two bucks or like who are your audience, who are the people that are attention based and who are intention based, like who are going to make a, which are kind of raving fans, which we've been talking about, but intention is someone in your audience that will, 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 will buy a ticket to your conference. Like that is an, an intention. I want to go into one point of like, who are some B2B companies right now that you are looking to for inspiration or are doing this very, very well? Some of the folks that have really adopted this almost like counterintuitively are the larger companies, folks that I wouldn't have thought were going to be the first movers in this space. And so it's the HubSpots and what they've done with the hustle acquiring the hustle now kind of, you know, taking it to, to another level. Uh, Salesforce launched Salesforce Plus in-house through their kind of studio kind of team. Qualtrics, like it's crazy, launched uh, XM Plus, which is their own kind of, you know, media arm. And I think it makes sense if you think about it in the sense that obviously they have budget to do some of the more higher production stuff. And we could, we could talk about whether that's overall like the way to do it or not. But I think that, you know, there's, at their level, commoditization, growth is sort of just a whole different equation. And so it makes a lot of sense. I'd say the company that has really pioneered it in B2B is ProfitWell. Patrick Campbell, now now part of Paddle. I think they've done some super compelling things around media and just sort of like being the lifestyle brand for people that cared about pricing and, and SaaS pricing and these types of things. You know, They've done such, such a really good job. But I'm starting, honestly, it's starting to become this, this active conversation that a lot of companies are doing. How do we evolve content? How do we start breaking through the noise? You know, but those are the ones that to me have sort of leapt ahead of, the, of, of others to come out of the gates and actually start executing this out in the market. Yeah, I, I want to get your take on this because I think the one thing that I think challenger brands or like smaller companies could do that is like, different than a HubSpot is like HubSpot like built a brand that okay if you go to HubSpot you get HubSpot content and like a lot of a lot of people are following like more people based so that's why like I think like what you are doing at Audience Plus like you're one of the faces of the brand like people like recognize you it's not only Audience Plus it's you who is like putting out this content for it. And I think there's going to be a, a push where like, if you bring someone who is a well-known expert in the market in your team and start creating content in media that way, where I, I could see a rise of like people who have been content creators for a while being hired at companies like audience plus and stuff like that. And that that's a way to compete because they already have built in, community and audience that you're trying to capture. And a lot of people don't think of them as brands. And that's what the problem is. Like a lot of people don't think of people as brands. People are media companies. There are a lot of media companies out there that are people. People buy from people ultimately at the end of the day. Yeah, we're experimenting with a lot of interesting things that, uh, again, it's been fun to sort of not have to be the keeper of a brand that has been around for a while and, you know, be kind of limited to the types of bets and risks you want to do. It's like, hey, we're literally today, by the way, four weeks old out into the market. We've been in business for about eight months, but we're trying things. And so we have an influencer strategy. So we have this great uh, content professional, Kaylee Moore, 
who produces shows on our network and, you know, we are the distribution arm and we help on the kind of content creation side uh, with her, help support her, you know, and we have several others. Uh, James Carberry is doing work with us on a show called Owned. And we think that overall, like thinking about your owned media effort as more of your own network, your own network into your audience. And it doesn't always have to be you. I think it's important to have, you know, to your earlier point, like some spokespeople at the company kind of represent the, the thought leadership, but thinking about your platform as a platform, like how can I get more voices and how do they bring their equity and their thought leadership and their audiences into your network as well? So we're aiming for something. We're not there yet. Something like 60%, 40%, where 60% of our content is coming from other voices outside of our company on platform and 40% is coming from us. Um, and we're not there yet, but we think that's going to help us just build more authenticity with this audience. And, you know, we can play that role of facilitator and gatherer for people who care about becoming a media company and not just have them always hear it from us in our perspective. And technically you're also like supporting people as media companies too, which is like kind of like in a, a, a different way that people don't see it as um, right now. But I think what the movement that you're doing is like, but I do like that 60, 40 rule of like you creating some thought leadership in the market so you can guide the conversation versus like having additional voices to support that, that narrative you're trying to put in the market. Um, right. So exactly. to validate it. Um, totally. Yeah. Totally. If someone would to come to you, who's just getting into marketing and you gave them a piece of advice, what is something that they would come back to you a few years later and be like, thank you for that advice. I'd really, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the thing for me was I underappreciated, not underappreciated, but I've seen the fruits of investing in relationships from the earliest days of my career. You know, we talk a lot about humans, like marketing, like humans, like people buying the products are humans, but like, you think about your career journey and the people you meet, the mentors that you're able to access, kind of the relationships that are forged, you know, building a company together, especially if you're working in a startup. It's pretty powerful, the folks you will meet along your way in your marketing journey. And you'll also be surprised how many folks are, are willing to, you know, let you buy them a cup of coffee or do, jump on a quick Zoom um, and kind of introduce themselves, share their what they've learned along their way with you. So in almost every step of my career, I couldn't have done it without the support of people that I've met along the way. So invest in the relationships, keep up with them, you know, in the sense of like following up, you know, scheduling time, like make it a priority and then pay it forward. You know, you'll get to a point where you'll have folks asking you for marketing advice and you'll be on podcasts just like this and make sure that, you know, you take the call, you say yes to the meetings and you're able to share a little bit of what you've learned in your journey, you know, along with others, along for others. Yeah, that's great advice. I think I learned that from when I started and the first couple of people who invited me on and then like paying it forward to like, the younger marketers or the marketers who are starting to build, not even younger marketers, like just marketers who are just starting their journey in content creation or yeah. whoever they are. Um, the last thing I have is like, where could people find you? How could people follow you? How could people follow what you, the cool content you're producing at Audience Plus? 
best way is if you go to audienceplus.com, hit subscribe, it's free. Um, we have exclusive content just for subscribers. We're releasing about you know three pieces of content right now for a small team of effectively two marketers. And so trying to punch above our weight. But you know, we've got this monthly newsletter and, and just a lot of a lot of ways for folks to engage and gather and, and get educated and inspired around this idea of building a media company or becoming like a media company within within your um, your business. So audienceplus.com and we'd love to see you all there. Cool. Thank you so much for joining. This has been awesome. Yeah, thank you for appreciate you having me. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.